The harvest is over. And as we come into Ruth chapter 3, the Lord of the harvest has come to winnow his harvest. That winnowing is the separation of the wheat from the chaff. And that is undertaken by the Lord himself. That's what it tells us in the verse number 2. That it's Boaz who winnows out his harvest. That's a special time. And of course, after that time takes place, we see that there's much joy to be had. We see that there's a celebration to be had. Whenever all of the work is accomplished, whenever, whenever all of the barley and the wheat is brought in, and this Lord of the harvest, Boaz, comes, he winnows his harvest, and then when all is brought safely in, there is a great joy, there's a great time of celebration, a great time of thanksgiving for all that has been accomplished and for all that has been brought safely into the barn. Now this is something which has continued for many generations. Many countries around the world, whenever the harvest is brought in, communities would gather together. Whenever everything is safely brought into the barns and brought into the safe places, then the community would come together. The hard work has been done. The joy is there. There's a harvest to enjoy for the winter season. There's a harvest even to sell on, to bring money for the families to meet every need that will come. We see that time of celebration recorded for us. Verse 7, it speaks about Boaz eating and drinking, his heart being merry. He's surveying all that is brought in. He's surveying his harvest. There's a joy within his heart. There's a happiness to see all that has been accomplished and all that has been brought in for him. What a picture that is of Christ. What a picture that is of the grace of God. What a picture that is of the joy in heaven. Over every sinner that's brought into the family of God, there's joy. The Lord Jesus rejoices. The Lord Jesus looks forward to that time when he will be united, when he will have his people with him. When the wheat is separated from the chaff and the Lord has his people and he eternally will be with them. He will be in their presence. He will be their God. The finished work of Christ and the joy even in receiving the fulfillment of the covenant. No, it's a very humbling thought for every child of God. Each and every one that's saved. Each one of us deserves the wrath of God for our sin. We deserve to be punished eternally. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be separated forever from the Lord. And yet, whenever we are saved by grace and we're washed in the blood of Christ, we become the reward of Christ. You read off it time and again in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He prays for his people to be with him, that his glory might be manifest. Boaz rejoices here at this time. He rejoices in what has been brought in. He rejoices in what is his. We see in these verses that after that joy is there, Naomi is now motivating Ruth to go to him. Naomi has that desire in her heart. We read of it in the verse number one. She's seeking rest for Ruth. And she has that desire for Ruth to go to Boaz. And what you have is reality is Ruth seeing the grace of Boaz. Because Naomi sees it. Naomi has returned to Bethlehem. After all of those years of separation, all of those years in the land of Moab, 
She has come back into the town of Bethlehem once again. And over those months of harvest, as Ruth has went to the fields day by day, Naomi's been watching. Naomi saw the grace of Boaz. Naomi saw the kindness of Boaz. Because every day Ruth returned home with that hamper full. Every day she returned home and she talked about how Boaz had been so kind to her. Boaz had been sure none of the other workers would chase her away. None of the other ladies would turn on her. There was a safe place for Ruth. And Naomi realized Boaz is a man full of grace. A man full of kindness. And she encourages her daughter-in-law, go to him. Go and experience that grace and that love. Go and experience it personally. Go and experience it permanently. Seek to have that union. Seek to have that marriage, that coming together with Boaz. Seek him. See, on safe tonight, it's not enough to know about God's grace. You need to experience it for yourself. A preacher can stand in a pulpit and tell you God is gracious. A preacher can stand in a pulpit and tell you that God is a God of grace. But if you never taste and see that the Lord is good, then all you'll ever have heard of is God's grace, but you'll never have experienced it. If Ruth simply heard from her mother-in-law and yet never acted on it, she would never have experienced the grace of Boaz permanently in her life. She tells her, go. Boaz is there. He's off thy kindred. He's winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Go to him. But you know, there's three things that she tells her daughter-in-law to do. Three things that Ruth must prepare to to have before she can come to her Lord of the harvest. I want to leave them with you this evening very simply. Because Ruth makes it very clear, or Naomi makes it very clear to Ruth, three things must be done before you can approach the Lord. Firstly, we see in the verse number three, she's told to wash. She's told to wash. Verse 3, it opens with those words, Wash thyself therefore. Ruth had to be cleaned before she could come. There had to be that cleansing, that bathing to remove all of the dirt, all of the dust of the world from off her. This was a woman who was very much involved in the world. She worked in the field all day from early morning right through. She had her break at lunchtime and then she went back into the even time. She worked from morning into the afternoon into the night for all of the harvest. She was a woman involved in the work. There was dirt, there was dust upon her. Naomi gives her that instruction, wash yourself. You need to be washed before you can be with the Lord. In spite of the fact she's going at night time when it's dark. In spite of the fact that there will be very little light to be seen. And yet that desire is there. That instruction is given. You need to be clean. The act of washing and of cleansing certainly has spiritual significance. 
Leviticus 16, the verse 24, it speaks there of Aaron, the high priest, washing before offering the burnt sacrifice. Whenever David sinned with Bathsheba, was confronted by Nathan, he wrote to Psalm 51. In the verse 7 it says, Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than the snow. See, my friend, before we can ever be united with the Lord, we need the sin of the world washed from us. We need the filth of sin removed from us. You cannot be united to Christ unless first you're washed. Titus 3 and verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing of regeneration. Is that baptism? You know, many would claim today you need to be baptized before you can come to the Lord. They'll even set out the steps and they'll say, you must be baptized as an infant. That brings you into that fellowship. That brings you into the family. Washing of regeneration is not baptism. The washing of regeneration is not the personal bathing of the outward flesh. We are saved by being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1 the verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ. His son that cleanseth us from all sin. Wonder tonight are you washed? Wonder tonight have you been cleansed. In the fountain of Jesus blood. That filth of your sin. That filth of the world that's been upon you. Ever since you've been born. Because you're born in sin. You're shaping in iniquity. The sinful nature's within you. It's upon you. Are you washed tonight? Have you been cleansed? Naomi told Ruth. Wash thyself. But then secondly she told her to anoint herself. Because it goes on in the verse number 3. She says, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. The literal meaning here is that Ruth would put on perfume. She would use oils in the sense upon her body. So in case you're wondering, it is scriptural not only to wash but to use deodorant. To use aftershave or perfume. Some people think maybe it's not the case. And they walk around and say, My odor natural is enough. No, it's actually scriptural to anoint not only the dead but the living. Have that aroma coming from the body. Ruth is told here, she's told, Go and anoint yourself. Have that sweet aroma coming from your body as you come to Boaz. Now I'm reminded of the mentions of the ointments. The book of Song of Solomon. That book where it speaks about the bride and the groom. Song of Solomon 1, 3, 1, 12 to 14, chapter 4, 11 to 16. Spiritually speaking, it's all pointing us to the anointing. It's all speaking about the fragrances. It's speaking about the oils which must be added. No, each one of us, spiritually speaking, must be anointed. Before we're united to Christ. Every believer at conversion is indwelt by the Spirit of God. First John 2 and 20 it says, But ye have an unction 
from the Holy One. That Greek word for unction is anointing. John there is saying you have an anointing from the Holy One, from the Holy Ghost. He goes on to say in verse 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. So each one that is saved tonight has a fragrance, has an aroma. Has that fragrance of the Holy Spirit upon them. You think of Ruth putting on the fragrance. What was the point of it? Why do men put on aftershave when they're going out in their dates? Why do ladies choose out a good perfume? This is an attractiveness of a good smell. And as Ruth was coming to Boaz, there was that desire to have that good aroma. What does the anointing of the Holy Spirit do to the Christian before God? 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 15 it says, For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ. You know the more that we are like Christ, the more aroma of the Holy Spirit you will have. The more that you draw closer to Christ, the more that you spend time in His Word, the more that you spend time in prayer, the more that you spend time in the spiritual things, the more time that you spend in this house around the things of God, the more aroma will come from you. Because the closer you'll be to Christ. What was said of Peter and John in the book of Acts? By the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they took note of them. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. There was something that stood out about these two men. There was something of note they could see. These men are not like normal men. They're not like normal individuals. There's something different about them. They've been with Christ. Permeated from their bodies. Permeated from their speech. Permeated from their minds. You know it's interesting. Whenever you consider in scripture. That which is pleasing and right. Before the Lord is. Pleasant in the nostrils of God. The more Christ like that you are. The more Christ like that your life is. That your character is. It's a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. Genesis 8, the verses 20 to 22. Verse 20, it tells us, Noah builds an altar unto the Lord and worships him. Verse 21, it says, The Lord smelled his sweet savour. He said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground for man's sake. No, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross was acceptable. Brought a sweet savour to God. Ephesians 5, in verse 2, it says, Christ hath given himself... For us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. Our prayers unto God are referred to as sweet odours unto the Lord. Revelation 5 and 8 it speaks of the four and the twenty elders in heaven having golden vials full of odours which are the prayers of the saints. So every child of God that which is holy and acceptable is a sweet fragrance unto the Lord. But sin, sin stinks. Sin is repugnant in the nostrils of God. The stench of the vileness of sin 
is utterly putrid in God's nostrils. Isaiah 3, in verse 24, it says there, instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. You know, some people think, oh, it's okay to live in sin. It's okay to dabble in sin. It's okay to have a little sin in our life. And it's okay as long as we still live a good life and as long as we're still respectable in the community. I'll have a little sin in this side. I'll have just something for myself. Every sin in the nostrils of God is repugnant. Naomi tells Ruth, Ruth, there must be a sweet smell upon you for Boaz to accept you. My friend, for the Lord to accept you, there must be that sweet aroma of the Holy Spirit permeating from you. If you've never been washed in the blood of Christ, the Spirit of God has never indwelt you, then you'll never be acceptable. Now I think of it in the human terms. You think of it when someone comes and they'll be a bit whiffy. I used to drill. Times I would have come home and the wife just simply pointed, no, just you go on ahead, the shower's that way. And there's some individuals and they're maybe coming in and they maybe start to put their hand up and you're like, no, no, keep them hands down. None of us like a bad smell. We love the farmers for all of the work they do, but there's certain times of the year we don't like the farmers very much when they spread certain items on the fields. Smells have an impact upon us. What do you think the impact of the smell of sin has upon God? It reviles him. He abhors it. He will never have it near him. And Naomi very simply told Ruth, Ruth, you must, you must be clean. But you must be anointed. No, thirdly and finally, she was told to wash. She was told to anoint. But then she was told to dress. Tells us there in the verse number 3, it says, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. You know, the dressing here that it's speaking about, it wasn't simply a case of going from nakedness to clothed. But rather it was a case of taking off the old clothing and putting on a new raiment. You see, Ruth being a widow would have wore the widow's clothing, the clothing of death. It would have been shown by her clothing that she was a widow. It would give her a rite of passage even into the fields because the law stated widows had to be cared for. And so by Ruth going in in her widow's clothing meant she could go and lift the scraps off the ground. But that desire of Naomi that night is to simply say to her, don't put on the widow's garments, but rather now clothe yourself. Dress in your very finest Dress in the very best dress, the very best outfit that you have. Make that difference. 
In other words, her everyday attire wasn't good enough. She needed a special dress. You might think to yourself, spiritually speaking, I'm fine as I am. God will accept me as I am. I'll come as I am. I'll stay as I am. And God will accept it. Because I'll be able to say, I'm not like others. Not as bad as them. I've got good aspects to my life. I'll do my best. I'll present my best to the Lord when I stand before Him. I'll tell Him I did my best. Know your best. It's filthy rags. That's what it tells us in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 64 and 6. Your righteousness is those good things of yours that you'll hold up before the Lord. They're filthy rags. I'm sure I could go into many of your garages and there'll be an old rag in the corner. Maybe one for working on and drying your hands after working maybe in a car. And there's all of the black stains in the towel. I guarantee your wife won't hang that towel up in the kitchen. I guarantee the rag out in your shed won't be in your bathroom. Because all of those oil stains never come off it. And your very best efforts before God are as filthy rags, just like the oily cloth lying out in the shed. God will never accept them. Naomi looked at Ruth in the physical. She told her clearly, your apparel will not do. You cannot be united to Boaz dressed as a widow. Because as a widow in mourning... Your life and your attire speaks of death. You need to be changed into the garments that are fit for a wedding that speaks of life. You know what it says in Isaiah 61 and 10? It says, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see, my friend, you can never come to the Lord and you can never be united with the Lord and you can never live with the Lord forever in heaven clothed in your own clothing. You must be clothed in Christ. I wonder if you ever considered, have you ever read the parable of the wedding feast, Matthew 22? The great wedding is called, the invitation is extended to all. They go into the highways, they go into the byways, they compel, they invite, they encourage, come to the wedding. It's the greatest affair in the land, come, enjoy it. The Lord of the wedding, the king himself, comes in, wants to be with his guests, wants to have that time with them. As he surveys all that's before him, his eye falls upon one. Everyone's clothed properly. Everyone's washed properly. Everyone's anointed properly. But there's one. And he's in his old clothing. He's in his dirty clothing. No wedding garment upon him. 
And the king confronts him. The king goes right over to that guest and he says, How camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? In other words, why? Why did you think you could come to this wedding dressed as you are? Tells us the man was speechless. Didn't have an answer. The king confronted him and then the king commanded. The verse 13 of Matthew 22 it says, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. See, my friend, if you wish to be with Christ, you cannot remain in your sin. If one day you long to be eternally with the Lord, if one day you long to be in glory, and you long to be united with Christ forever, you cannot remain in your sin. You must be washed. You must be anointed. You must be clothed. If you're not, it's separation. Just as Boaz winnowed out his harvest, he separated the wheat from the chaff. The wheat would be thrown in the air, land at his feet. The chaff blown by the wind, gone from his presence forever. That's what happens to each one who refuses to come to Christ. Who refuses the blood of Christ. Refuses to be washed, anointed with the Spirit. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 8, the word of God says, Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Wearsby put it like this, speaking of Lazarus coming back to life. John eleven forty four. Never Lazarus was buried, he was clothed in the garments of death. Never he came out of that grieve the call of the Lord. The Lord says, John eleven forty four. the command is given, take the grave clothes off him. Now each one of us, we need to remove the grave clothes of sin. We need the grace clothes. We need the garments of salvation. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what Ruth had to do. Garments of mourning and death taken off. Putting on of the garments of praise and life. The washing. The anointing. Now my friend, in the literal sense, Ruth could do this all. She could wash herself. She could anoint herself. She could clothe herself. But spiritually speaking, you can't. You can't wash your sin away. You can't anoint the Spirit of God upon you. You can't clothe yourself in His righteousness. 
But when you come to the Lord and simply say, Lord, wash me. Lord, save me. He does it all. All you have to do is come. Come as you are, but come to be changed. Too many today are still saying, I'll come and I'll stay as I am. No, my friend, you come. You give your life to the Lord and say, Lord, it's yours. Wash me. Anoint me. Clothe me. And then, Lord, I'll be with you. Tell me, where is your eternal destination? With the Lord? It's part of his harvest. It's his bride. Or separated from him. May the Lord bless his word.